the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much. We're delighted to have you join us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernil, our co-host, is a nationally known gerontologist, immediate past chair of the National Council on Aging, and one of the 50 top influencers in aging, one of the people that is recognized as leading the movement to take a look at and a responsible picture of those in our society who are indeed aging. And speaking of aging, we're going to be talking in just a couple of moments with Joy Laverde, who is an author of a book that every one of us needs. Who will take care of me when I'm old? And her other book, The Complete Elder Care Planner. She joins us in a couple of moments. And Carol, you just stepped down as uh, outgoing chair at the National Council on Aging. You had that post for two years. It's a long time. Well, you know, it's a privilege uh, to serve on the board. It's a great organization. Uh, great organization. I, I, I get to stay on the board for, you know, as past chair uh, for another term. And so hopefully, you know, we're looking at everything that's going on legislatively. Uh, we're going to talk about the RAISE Act here in just a, a minute. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done. So lucky, lucky to, to be involved. And you mentioned the RAISE Act. Uh, what is it? Well, the RAISE Act is um, an act that just President Trump signed into law in January, um, and it stands for Recognize, Assist, Include, Support, and Engage Family Caregivers Act, which is a mouthful. It is. It is, but it's so important, and um, it is the biggest step in the right direction I think we've seen in a long time. And what it does is it requires the U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services to develop and maintain a national strategy to support family caregivers. Sounds like a, a national committee they'll have to put together to come up with that. Well, they will. And so they're going to look at this very holistically, public and private, uh, persons with disabilities, uh, caregivers themselves, experts in the field. And so they'll, they'll put together this committee, and they have about 18 months to come up with the first national strategy. Um, and the goals of the strategy look at what communities, employers, um, health care need to do to promote uh, greater person-centered and family-centered care in hospitals and long-term care settings. And here on Caregiver SOS, we are all about family-centered care, uh, helping the caregiver and the care recipient. Training for family caregivers, more respite options, you know, more caregivers, uh, a way to get a break. How do we increase the financial security of caregivers? Well, they lose on average 300000 bucks over their lifetime that they would have made 
had they not become caregivers. That's right. So all the money that you lose and, and the workplace uh, policies that we have to, to have to be able to keep caregivers working, um, how do we share information about innovations in caregiving? You know, what are the best practices and how do we get that out? And then assessing, you know, how are we doing in the federal government? How are the federal programs? The National Family Caregiver Support Program, um, which has been around for you know, a long time, you know, it basically spends about a penny per caregiver. And so it's nothing Do do. We think that's adequate. No, no, we do, <laughs> do not. Do we have a comprehensive long term uh, services and support system to ensure that everyone has wow. access to some sort of care if they need it? And do we have enough workers and is everybody trained? And you can see this committee could be very busy. Critical. 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 So we're going to track what's going on with the RAISE Act, um, and hopefully this will lay a strategy for other policies and other work. Um, and, you know, it's amazing what the stroke of a pen can do to change lives. You know, we, we see that in government these days, and this is a, a stroke of a pen that I hope will move us in the right direction. Sounds like a good thing. Now, one of the things you and I both do uh, early in the morning, sneak into the kitchen, open that jar of peanut butter, and see if we can still smell the peanut butter. And why do we do that, Ron? Because supposedly one of the early warning signs of Alzheimer's is an inability to recognize peanut butter. The smell of peanut butter. That's absolutely right. One of those, you know, I, my son eats peanut butter every day at lunch if he's not doing McDonald's now that he's in college and has a choice. Um, but the whole, the peanut butter, every time I open it, I have that same thought. But here's another thought um, that I saw. It's an Alzheimer's update from the Aging News Alert that the American Journal of Psychiatry suggests that there's a link between anxiety, symptoms of anxiety, maybe an early indicator of Alzheimer's. Really? So someone who is, you know, has a change in behavior, becoming more anxious and fearful and stressed out um, before there's any symptoms of memory loss, what we typically think of with memory loss or confusion, you know, and the more I become more anxious just thinking that anxiety could be an early symptom of Alzheimer's. It's just like the peanut butter. It's like, is it now? Is it now? Except you went to a presentation a couple of years ago now where they said, if you think you're beginning to lose memory, you are going to begin to lose memory. Well, that was at the um, big dementia summit uh, last year, and they have done studies, and, and this may be a part of that, where if you know they asked people if they were concerned that they had memory loss, even though there was absolutely no no indication they had memory loss at all, those were the people most likely to develop Alzheimer's wow. were the ones that thought they might get it. Maybe that's an example of why silence could be golden. That's right. Just don't think about Let's it. Let's move on. Well, no, I think that's, you know, li- you live every day. What can I say? Live every day, and, and we're going to talk to Joy Laverde, and hopefully she can give us some guidance about how maybe we can plan a little better. Yeah, exactly. Talking about planning for elder care. I mentioned silence is golden because there's a new studies out that says silence is not a bad thing. Well, I, you know, you sent me this article, and you know, I often will say I live a very quiet life. And I kind of mean that literally. I don't run the TV. I don't have music on. I find I'm somebody that gets recharged um, from silence. Maybe I was Finnish in another life. You know, the, the Finnish tourist board, <laughs> you know, is marketing. Their slogan is silence, please. Wow. You know, if you want to get out of the rat race and the hassles and the noise that we have so much of in the United States, go to Finland. Come to a fjord. Yeah, go to a fjord. <laughs> but there's actually a study in, in my 
mice that was a published study where scientists discovered that when mice were exposed to two hours of silence per day, they developed new cells in their hippocampus, part of their brain, that's associated with memory, emotion, and learning. So silence helps you develop better new brain cells. That's good if you're a mouse. Well, you know, you wait, my father used to say, oh, that rock and roll is killing your brain cells. Maybe he was right. Well, certainly for DJs, it blew their ears out. That's no doubt about that. Uh, also, as you take a look at some of the work, and I want to be sure we get this in because the Caregiver SOS Teleconnection will be featuring our uh, weekly Take 10 Update Pro, Dr. Jamie Heisman, on the next segment. Well, yes, Jamie is going to do caregiver burnout um, on March 1st. Uh, and if you miss it on Thursday, March 1st, or you're listening to this on a podcast, do not worry. Um, we do tape our caregiver teleconnection sessions, so you can still find a link to the teleconnection um, and hear Jamie. But, you know, he always does such a great job, and I bet that there's someone out there listening who's either thinking, man, that's me, I am burnt out, this is just, you know, i got nothing left to give, or you know somebody else who's really at the end of their rope and um, they're, they're stressed out. When and- I saw that happening to my wife, I ordered her a new pair of Tory shoes. So you bought her something nice to I help did. her. I did. Well, that was lovely. So because you recently, be, you know, she became your caregiver, she although did. you're doing much better this week. Well, I am. And, and it's partly because of her theory, which is get off your butt and get it yourself. It's the new approach to caregiving. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. And it works. So, and it works. So are you having more silence and calm time in your household? <laughs> it has Ron? quieted down. Is your brain yes. functioning better now? <laughs> it has. Now talk to me. We've got a couple of moments left uh, about uh, some of the work being done with macular degeneration. Because for anyone uh, who is aging, uh, the fear of losing your eyesight is very real. Well, you know, recently um, I was put on a work group with the... Um, Aging Texas Well Committee, which is the governor put together a committee in Texas to look at aging. And the work group is is working on vision loss. And so many people do lose their vision as a byproduct of aging. And what most of us may not realize is that macular degeneration affects more than 10 million Americans. It's more than um, glaucoma and cataracts combined. Wow. Uh, and, you know, macular degeneration affects the central vision. So, you know, the part of your eye that gives us the ability to read and drive and recognize faces, see colors. Does this sound important to you? Sounds very important. It sounds important to me, all that fine detail. Um, and, you know, there's uh, there are three stages of macular degeneration. And during the early stage, you may not even have vision loss at all. And so this is the time we can prevent macular degeneration from getting worse. But how would you know you have it? Well, you don't. And so you have to have regular um, eye exams. And the problem is that Medicare doesn't cover regular eye exams or eyeglasses or contact lenses. And so, you know, if your family, my family, everyone in my family has osteoporosis. Everyone has macular degeneration. Woohoo! So just your luck. Yeah, yeah, just my luck. And in a family history, Caucasian, a smoker. Those are the biggest risk factors for macular degeneration. If that's you, um, you know, you really need to make sure. You may have not been to the eye doctor in years. Maybe you haven't had problems. It's been several years. But if you're over the age of 55, it's so important because you don't want to lose your eyesight. Now, you never smoked. 
I never have. I wouldn't think so. Yet. I haven't, but that you know, neither did my family members. Who so, got, who got macular degeneration? So wow. you know, protect your vision. It's very important, and prevention. You know, you can still save it. So get those annual checkups. So that's we, for you and your care recipient. Coming up in just a moment, Joy Laverde will join us, author of "Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old" and the complete elder care planner. She's Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. You hear us at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, thank you so much for staying with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And as we have been promised, promising you, we are delighted to welcome to our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, Joy Laverde, who is known not only here but across the country as a caregiver and a visionary, author of Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old, and the bestseller, The Complete Elder Care Planner. The American Medical Association says it's the best book we have ever seen. She's got 30-plus years' experience talking about caregiving, talking about the kinds of issues involved in managing uh, to care for someone who may be in the later years of their life. And we're delighted, Joy, to welcome you to Caregiver SOS On Air. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Well, I think you've asked like, the, the best question, who will take care of me when I'm old, I think we, there are many of us um, who are asking that question, but you've been asking that question for a number of years, and I'm wondering, how did you get started in this field? Well, way back when, when I was 14 years old, I volunteered to go to a nursing home with my freshroom class, and this is in 1966. And there on Thanksgiving morning sat seven people sitting in the dark, and my 14-year-old brain simply could not comprehend how people would not be with family on that day of thanks. And that got my wheels turning. Um, that led also to the first writing of the book, The Complete Elder Care Planner. And it was my hope that people would begin to talk to each other about talking about tomorrow. Well, and, and so it's been a journey ever since. So you were way ahead. Nobody was thinking about this um, at that time. It wasn't even a subject. You're so right. Uh, when the first edition came out of that particular book, it was in the mid-'80s, and I used to talk about elder care at a time when corporate America was really talking about child care. And they kept asking me, what are you talking about? What is this elder care thing you're talking about? And, and I was one of a handful of path carvers who kept saying, well, this is about getting old. And we just had to keep on opening up doors and ho- hoping that people would be willing to listen. 
So, Joy, one of the things that jumped out at me with the complete elder care planner is that word planner, because most folks fall into caregiving. They don't plan. They don't have a plan. They don't know where they're going. How do you grab a hold of that bull? Well, the first thing we have to consider is the financial aspect of getting older. You know, if any of us are lucky enough to live to the age of 60, there's a good chance we'll live 30 more years. So planning ahead for a longer life is the first plan of attack. Well, and that's a that's a key point. I know that uh, in some of uh, the talks that I've done around the country, we talk about most people probably at the high end have maybe $200,000 in savings, which equals $7,000 a year to spend um, in their old age if they live like you're talking about. Right. And, and as a caregiver, do we really know if our parents have, have planned for financing a longer life? These are, what, these are very sensitive questions, but as a caregiver, do you know what your financial picture is of your parents really is? Have you talked about it? Now, you've been caring for your mom, right? I have. And were you able to get that information from her? Well, that's an interesting story because she was married to a man, not my father, and so I was not able to get that information from her because she actually didn't know it. She came from that generation where, where the husband took care of all the bills. So the first thing I had to do was get to, get to have Bill trust me, and that took close to six months in order to do that. And I, and I just stuck on it, and pretty soon he saw that I really was uh, working in both of their behalf. Well, so the, so the first step then was the financial planning. What comes right after you, if you, I'm thinking my own mother saying none of your business, but <laughs> if, if you can get them to talk about finances, you know, what do you okay. look at next? Okay, well, the next thing is also pretty clear, and that is where am I going to live? Where, where is the, are the parents going to live, depending on who's doing the asking? But we can't depend on the weather to help us choose. Just because you, you see a beautiful, warm climate won't make a bit of difference if you don't feel so well and no one is there to care for you. So when you think about where you're going to live, you must also think about how is care going to be provided at that particular location. So those don't, you can't separate them, housing with services. So do you think that a lot of the discussion these days around the importance of socialization, of being engaged in other relationships, do you think that's sinking into people who are looking at their long-term planning needs? Well, it, it, I would like to think so because if you read everything you might read in the news, you'll also see that people are talking about how important it is to stay connected Loneliness and, and isolation is, is as unhealthy as obesity. So keeping in mind that where you live, if you're aging in place and you never see another human being for weeks on end, that's not healthy. She's the author of Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old and the Complete Elder Care Planner. Joy Laverty with us on our Caregiver SOS On Air Hotline. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernio. We're talking about issues involved in caregiving with someone who has spent a whole lot of years not only doing it, but talking about it, writing about it, and lecturing about it. So, Joy, is there a missing piece when you look at the entire elder care planner? Is there a piece of it that people don't think of that, that it's a surprise? Yeah, there, there's the assumption that once you pick up the phone and you make a phone call to get professional assistance, there is a caregiver shortage. 
And uh, in my own family, my father could not get Meals on Wheels because there was simply no one there to deliver the goods. So do not make the assumption that services are available. And and maybe don't make the assumption that you're going to call one phone number and find out about services, um, yeah. you know, the complete list. Right, right. Or, or perhaps you need to call a friend and say, could you come over and make my dad a pot of spaghetti? <laughs> Why not, right? That's right. That's right. You know, I was just talking about Meals on Wheels um, with my 87-year-old father, and my grandfather drove Meals on Wheels. My mother did, and I'm thinking, you know, just for what you said, we, uh, for, for all those who are listening, if you don't have enough to do, and your care recipient, the person you're caring for is mobile, go ahead and help out some other folks with those Meals on Wheels. I'll do a volunteer plug right here. Well, they can use all the help they can get, that's for sure. And, Joy, uh, as we talk about the kinds of issues involved in caregiving, and you mentioned that we really are running out of caregivers because so many of us not The good news is we're living longer. The bad news is we're outliving those around us, and many are outliving their finances. Uh, What do you write about that, and what do you say about that? Well, it is is something that requires planning. So, So because we're talking about these very specific issues, people will be pleasantly surprised to learn that if they just do their homework ahead of time, they could find out the resources that are available. And if they're just willing to be proactive about it, that's the only way we're going to get through these tough times. Well, and the important thing about planning, you know, as you talk about it, is also finding out what's not available. You know, if you know if you live in a rural area, um, if there's a, an urban area with a shortage, I mean, just knowing the lay of the land can reduce a lot of stress and it'll give you a direction to go. You know, we're basically talking about staying in control of a situation that does not need to become an emergency. And we, we create our own crisis for the most part if we don't plan. Talk to me a little bit about uh, the kind of questions you get as you travel the country talking to groups. Is there a sameness? It doesn't matter if you're north, south, east, or west. Folks who are, folks who are new to caregiving, uh, folks who've been caregivers for a while, have the same kinds of issues? Or uh, do you run across things that are different regionally? No, they're definitely the same. They may have um, the answers are always going to depend on the location, but the concerns are pretty the same. I found it very interesting that when I would give a talk to caregivers, their questions after my talk was not typically about caregiving. It was always the question, who's going to do this for me? And this is why I wrote the second book. Because, because they found it fascinating that we were all busy being the best caregivers that, that our parents could ever have, but we always had that question, well, my parents have me, but what about me? Who's going to do this for me? That's been a general question for at least the past 10 years, and it's what led me to write the next book. And what's the answer? Who's going to do it for you? Well, it takes a lot of planning. And the neat thing, Ron, is I am finding that, that people have the most incredible creative answer to that question. Many times it's going to be friends, not family. So, it, you know, when you talk about friends, are they going to create their own, like, you know, the village movement where yeah. people take care of each other in a particular neighborhood, but they, they're kind of creating a virtual village with their friends? Yes, that's what's starting to happen, and, and um, I live in the city of Chicago, and I live in a, an apartment building that has 40 floors. What, I, what they refer to this kind of environment is called a, a NORC, which stands for a Naturally Occurring Retirement Community, and we all help each other, and here we are, this city in a building 
where we use each other's resources and check in on each other all the time, this is going to become much more common. And the village movement, of course, is the same thing, where people are gathering together at common locations and sharing resources. Well, and, and some communities, I think Chicago is one of them, where they actually formally recognize your naturally occurring retirement communities. They say there's a building over there that's got a lot of people who are retired, and they will increase the amount of services available in the geographic area to support the group of friends trying to help each other out. Mm-hmm. It's an informal kind of an arrangement, and it just takes two people to start talking at the elevator while you're waiting to go home. Well, there are probably a lot of those uh, uh, situations across the country, they just don't know what they are. Right, right. And so if you're if you are aging in place in your home and you are isolated and alone, you might want to take a look at what's going on when people are already living in an informal community lifestyle. There's a lot of advantages to that. So, do you think it's easier to ask for help among a group of friends than it is to ask relatives? You know, your your kids, your other relatives. I love this question because I keep saying as much as my family loves me and I love them, I really wouldn't depend on them. I I, uh, don't see that they are as accessible as my friends and people who are living uh, in my immediate surroundings. It's just that our family has different lives. Our children may not live close by. Families don't tend to live nearby each other anymore. So who better than to start talking about these tough questions with but our friends? We just gather and we start talking. In fact, I'm going to a meeting tonight. It is a meeting of women that we have gathered under um, an organization called the Transition Network. And we're getting together. There's 10 of us that are having dinner tonight and talking about these very specific topics. And these are women who are faced with caregiving or are already caregivers? Yes, and, and wondering about who's going to take care of them as well. And so when, when women get together, we're all at different stages, young and old alike. So do, do you find that people in your group, in your circle, have long-term care insurance? Um, some do, some don't. And as uh, financial planners have told me for a long time, it, it definitely depends on your financial situation. Some people use it as a, as a uh, product that will save them from, for certain years. You have to be 18, of course, to buy it. And then after a while, if you have accumulated enough money, some financial planners will say, well, you no longer need it anymore because you certainly have enough money in the bank to finance a longer life. And other people really depend on it for the rest of their lives. All right, stay with me. Stay with me just a minute. We're going to come right back to you. Uh, We're talking about uh, issues involved in the complete elder care planner. And who will take care of me when I'm old? Joy Liberty is our very special guest on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Along with Carol Zerniel, you hear us on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Whenever I hear myself say be there, I always want to answer or be square. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS on air, we're having the best conversation ever with Joy Laverde, who is the author of Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old and the Complete Elder Care Planner. And we're talking about issues involved in not only growing old, as many of us live longer and longer, uh, but how do we maintain that quality of life? Where do the caregivers come from? 
And if you're just joining us, I want to come back to uh, a definition, Joy and Carol, that you shared with our caregiver SOS on our listeners, and that is a NORC, which is the uh, 40-story building that turned itself into kind of an informal let's-take-care-of-each-other senior center. And a NORC is what, Joy? It's a natural, naturally occurring retirement community. N-O-R-C. And it just morphs into that because people realize they need help and they discover at the elevator that, hey, maybe we can help each other. Exactly, exactly. And so it's a grassroots operation and every building is a totally different entity. And uh, the thing is, is if somebody is there home alone and feeling isolated, they might want to think about joining in in the fun of uh, living in a nice high-rise. See, we know that uh, a lot of folks want to age in place. They, they don't want to move into a uh, facility. Uh, but the flip side of that is uh, the dangers and debilitation that comes from loneliness. Oh, yeah, but there's, there's more elephants in the room, Ron. Uh, I think about it. If, if you do decide to stay at home and you say, oh, man, I really love my house and I never want to leave here, then you uh, are the, the CEO and you must handle everything regarding um, staying in control of your household. For instance, hiring and firing and managing caregivers, uh, fixing that leaky roof and so on. And then as you age in place and perhaps you, you don't have a roommate, then you think about, well, who's overseeing the quality of your decisions if, if you get a little forgetful? So one of the neatest things that I've been hearing about is this thing about shared housing where you could go online and, and uh, get a comprehe- fill out a comprehensive form. There are some really good companies. One of them that I really like is called Silvernest, and that's when you could actually get hooked up with a roommate or sell your house and move in with someone else. And uh, think about having a roommate in your house instead of aging home alone. Well, you know, that's it's interesting that you bring that up. I, I serve with the National Council on Aging on the board. Um, and that the use of the house, that resource that a lot of people have, you know, as their asset and deciding what to do with it is so important. Um, and to really look at it with a critical eye, the maintenance cleaning, you know, bringing somebody in, downsizing, that it that it's, can be a pretty emotional decision, but it's such an important one. Well, and, and you bring up a good point. So doesn't it just make sense to do this when you are in total control of your decisions and you say, I want this, I don't want that, and begin the process so that you stay in control? And that's, that's so much better than waiting in, for a medical event and then you may you may just be somebody else has to step in and make decisions. And I don't ever want that to happen to anyone if they don't want it. Well, that's that makes perfect sense. I'm thinking of the old Yogi Berra statement where he says, "If you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up someplace else." Um, and so, figuring out, you know, what do you, what does that, what does that look like? What does retirement look like? Where at my living situation, based on my family, or if something happens to my spouse or my children, and sort of planning backwards from there, mm-hmm. make makes sense. And then you can figure out what you want to do to make that happen. 
But we had an interesting... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, when I wrote this book, I did a lot of homework, of course, and I found out that there are so many really neat and interesting housing options. So I I urge people to take a look at all the different options they have available to them. You know, you, you have so many to look for. Uh, you just have to just open the book and say, wow, I never knew I well, could do all these options. And probably when you wrote the book, the shared economy was not as robust as it is now with Airbnb and other opportunities for use of your oh, house. Yeah. Oh, there's so many neat places to live now. So, yeah, start doing your homework. It's out there. What are some of the other options? You said you were knocked out by what you discovered. Share <laughs> some with us. Well, something that's really fun is people are living on cruise ships. People are taking jobs that are taking them uh, around the world. They, they, they have a very creative work life so that they start a job, and it might be somewhere else, and then they stop that and they go live somewhere else. Taking on jobs that offer housing. So they, these are real-life housing options for people who are you know, planning ahead. You know, my son served in the Peace Corps for several years, and he was yeah. talking about the other volunteers, and a lot of the volunteers for Peace Corps now are older people because with the Peace Corps, there's your room and board. It's not luxurious mm-hmm. by any means. So you have some meaningful work, you have health care, um, and you yeah. also have a place to live. I have two friends here in San Antonio, both very successful lawyers, who uh, every few months take off and have a job escorting high-priced thoroughbreds on airplanes over to Europe. And they get a free trip to Europe. They have to hang out with the horses. They feed them and care for them and water them. Uh, And then when they get to Europe, they get two weeks there where they're put up, and then they fly back to the States accompanying a couple more horses coming back to the U.S. And it's a way to make a little bit of money. They don't really need the money, but what a neat way to get a vacation and do something that uh, probably in their lives they never thought they'd do, babysit horses. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to just do a little warning regarding, um, you know how we'll all go on vacation and we'll say, maybe go to a beautiful place in the country and say, oh, I'd really like to live here. Well, people are finding out the hard way that when they they move to these gorgeous mountain cabins and, and, you know, prairie homes in the middle of nowhere, that the next hospital is 50 miles away and they don't have their neighbors. I mean, you really, if you you're not used to rural living, uh, think twice before hanging your head on that uh, on that option because it's not easy, and especially if you haven't been raised to be in a rural setting. Right. You know, you remind me of my father-in-law who announced that he had bought this land out in Big Bend area where the McDonald Observatory is, which tells you how remote it is. There's, you can look at all of the Because there's no ambient light. Yeah. And he bought this trailer out, and it's, you know, you leave the dirt road, and now you're on, mm. you know, barely a path. Uh, and my mother-in-law came down with Alzheimer's. Mm. And so all this investment, you know, he never got to take advantage of it because there was literally nothing out there. Wow. What happened to the trailer? Sold it. Sold it. Sold it all. Yeah. I have a girlfriend who moved beautiful. She would send me pictures of her her mountain cabin, and um, she was the one who had to 
was she was short of breath anyway long story short she ended up having to sell that home in an emergency situation she didn't she hardly get any money for it because she had to move away and so this is just a these are these are a lot of sad stories when when you're selling things in an emergency situation because you didn't think far ahead into all the inevitable things that can go wrong. So you've written two books, The Complete Elder Care Planner and Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old. What changed in the interim between those two books? What's different now than when you started out? The revolving door of relationship, the fact that people have become more and more mobile is, is something that's quite different. We are the last generation of family caregivers as we know it. Our parents raised us to think ahead and possibly care for them. But I can't find a single baby boomer who tells me that they raised their children in the same way. We did our best to make sure our children were educated and, and they have a work ethic and they get out there and they you know, have, a, have a great life. And we don't tend to talk about them caring for us. That's a big change. So in between one book one and book two, now the onus is on us to plan for our well-being, keeping in mind that as much as our children love us, they may not be there for us when, when we say we need them. And that has to be, um, you know, we have to face that truth. Well, and, and I think that's a really important and difficult image, you know, to face. And when you look at the baby boomers, you know, you mentioned our, you know, our, our thinking. And most baby boomers have debt or live mm-hmm. paycheck to paycheck. They don't have the savings. Do you get nervous when you think about the generation coming up and taking care of themselves? You know, Carol, I, I've had some wonderful experiences with people who don't have any money, and I've watched them take care of each other. And this is what we can expect if we have the kinds of quality relationships that we can begin to foster early on. Because when it comes down to it, like my family is Italian from Italy, and they take care of each other in these villages. Just just they do. And this is how I was raised. And then I am now surrounded by people who don't have a lot of money, and yet the quality of their life is, is just, just admirable. And so the quality of friendships, how do we develop these? This is what we have to focus on. Because people who will come running if they love you, they really will. Share with us how folks can read more about you, get a hold of you. You've got a website, and if they're interested in hearing you speak, you do a lot of traveling, how do they plug into Joy's schedule? Okay, just go to my website, elderindustry.com. And your books are available? Everywhere. <laughs> this, this is true, and you, you know, they, they come out together. You, you pick one if you, if you're looking for the complete elder care planner. They're going to also recommend who will take care of me when yeah. I'm old. And is there a, uh, is there a book three coming? Uh, gee, good question, Ron. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this last book just came out in October, right? And um, I'm just running. Be- 
It, it's been fun, but you know what? I, I love that question because the, the second book was written because of what happened with the first book. Right. So you never know. we got to stop you right here. Thank you so much for spending time with us, Joy. It was a delight. Joy Laverde, who is the author of Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old and the Complete <laughs> Elder Care Planner. Thanks for being with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner, Cora Juke. I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, we are so pleased you are here with us on Caregiver SOS on air. At the end of each of our regular programs, we jump to Take 10. And we're joined by Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist who deals with not only caregiving but addictions. And Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is here as well. I'm Ron Aaron. And, Carol, you've got a pretty good topic on how caregivers can sabotage the entire caregiving experience. Well, yeah, I was thinking about every, you know, the whole package when things are not working well and how sometimes we do sabotage ourselves or we allow our, the person we're caring for to sabotage ourselves. So, Jamie, you know, I think one of the first uh, ways we sabotage ourselves is we say, no one can take care of my loved one as well as I do. So why, yeah. do, we, why do we think that? Is that true? I, no, it's not true at all, but it's it's totally the pandemic among caregivers, that feeling. And I think too often, I call it the uh, the lonesome cowboy syndrome, okay? Basically, people feel that they're the only ones, and let's not get political, of course, but only ones that can take care of a problem, nationally, individually, or collectively. And they assume the full burden of the of the entire issue. They move ahead as if nobody is there. They don't delegate. They don't look for, you know, uh, reliable support. Um, and they also ignore their emotional needs when they do that. And they become wounded, that, that particular lonesome cowboy or cowgirl. And so you're 100% right. Um, it's certainly not a figment of our imagination. I would think that's the number one way to, to sabotage uh, our caregiving efforts. And is there a way to explain to uh, that caregiver that, well, you know, really, a lot of folks can help you with this. You're not the only one. Yes, Ron. Uh, I think there is. I think that's probably the second uh, most challenging thing around caregivers or how they sabotage, and that is their own self-care, ignoring it. And I think by ignoring their own self-care, they become this lonesome cowboy or cowgirl in, in the frontier, and they then just move on without assistance from anybody. When we do practice self-care and, if you will, like 
the book I wrote with two other wonderful people said, uh, take your oxygen first. If you are able to help yourself, then you're able to set those boundaries and you're also able to understand that there's humility in the process and you may not be the one person to be able to help this loved one and then and you have to delegate well i'm thinking about the stories of you've got you know the one caregiver where the person they're caring for their hair is done they're dressed they you know are immaculate and then you've got the other caregiver and their loved one and the socks don't match and the shirts wrinkled and you know, is it okay to be less than perfect, to have maybe no one can do it as well as you do? Um, is that something we can tell them is, yes, you're right, no one's going to do it as well as you, but, you know, a little less than perfect, you, they can still show up. You know, that those different color stocks and that non-iron shirt, you don't have to be a caregiver to walk around like that. Uh, that's certainly something very acceptable in my life. <laughs> so. Uh, without being a caregiver at the moment. So most definitely, though, I, I think you're right. I always say perfectionism is the cancer of the caregiver's soul. And if you will, you don't have to be totally buttoned up and dressed up. And, and that's a wonderful thing to do. Don't get me wrong. I think it helps the self-esteem possibly. But if it becomes a directive within oneself and we beat ourselves up over it, it, it becomes just another obstacle and, and another way we're sabotaging the caregiving effort. I'm just thinking about, you know, if you have a caregiver, you know, that's really not, does not seem willing to ask for help. You know, they're, they're, they do it better than anybody and they're denying their self-care, which were you said were the two most important things that maybe, you know, giving them that affirmation that if you have a loved one, if you're a family member and you're listening out there, that may be the way you come at it. That is, I'm not going to do as well as you, but I'm willing to help or someone, you know, we can get an agency in here and, and they're, they can help. It, it's not going to be perfect. That that just gives you another tool in the toolbox. I remember. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ron. Well, I, I was going to say those who uh, uh, are regular listeners to Take 10 may recall that a couple of weeks ago we talked about my own caregiving experience. I had total left knee replacement surgery, and my wife, who would readily admit where she's sitting here, she is not cut out to be the world's greatest caregiver, uh, suddenly is thrown into caregiving, and it was a very interesting experience. I'm not quite all healed, so she's still playing a role, uh, but she is so happy that I am now mobile, that I can drive, and that I can get up and get myself a glass of water. She doesn't want to caregive ever again. Well, we're happy too, Ron. I think that's a wonderful thing. But the great part is that she can detach from it. Often uh, people do not detach, and they still remain a caregiver even after the acute episode is done. But to Carol's point, um, I do think we need to involve our families. And then, again, if our biological families aren't the ones we feel comfortable with, the family of, of choice, which is our friends and and uh, people out there who we consider family who might not be blood, as well as a support group. Because we don't have to be the lonesome cowboy or cowgirl if we have people reflecting back to us these concepts. We're going to come right back to you, Jamie. If you've just joined us, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Dr. Jamie Heisman is with us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline on Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. Well, so let's now let's flip this to the care recipient, to your loved one. You've decided you can't do it all. You don't want to be the lonesome cowboy anymore. And you get somebody in, you know, you get somebody lined up to come in and help you. And then your loved one says, but I don't want anybody but you. I don't want a stranger in the house. And now suddenly 
it's not okay to get some help because now your loved one doesn't want it. You know, that happens so often. Um, and that is a trap that we fall into as caregivers, and it's a great point that you bring up. I think that what we have to do from the start as caregivers is to allow our carry, our loved one, uh, to meet us halfway. I think, again, the biggest sabotage is when we do it all on our own, we tend to rob them of, A, their self-esteem, B, the ability to develop their own practice skills, and C, you know, be able to show up in their own life. So I do think that our, our loved ones need to, to meet us halfway, or, Carol, to your point, we create what's called learned helplessness. And then all of a sudden we kind of relegate to our caregiver uh, basically the, the, the real power of the situation, and they say no when they really need to use them, whatever uh, ADL or average daily living sort of exercise they can, they need to show up in their life we need to allow them to. Well, and that's what happens in a nursing home, uh, typically, is when everything is done for somebody else, then that learned helplessness, the people just stop doing things. You know, my mother in the assisted living, if you, start, if you feed everybody that has Alzheimer's, they stop being able to use the fork. Even though she could. Even though she could, because right. they're doing it for her. Um, but, you know, the, the, the idea of care partners, I know there's a lot of pushback against the word caregiving right now, and I think some of it is reflected in what you're talking about, that the, it should be a conversation. There's got to be, you know, a meeting halfway, a conversation about the caregiver's expectation, the person that's being cared for, their expectations, uh, because, you know, it, it, none of this happens in a vacuum. It's not 100% what the care recipient wants, and it's not 100% what the caregiver wants. Absolutely, and I think we develop, if you will, this codependency where we really do actually allow ourselves to do everything for our loved one. And if we just have to understand that it's not helpful for the entire situation. So when you begin the caregiving process, again, begin it with a third party, somebody who can actually help us, whether that's a therapist or whether that's a coach or whether that's a support group, and then move on from there. But make sure your loved one meets you halfway and you're not doing everything. Otherwise, you will sabotage greatly the caregiving experience. Yeah, I'm looking at Ron because you know I, am laughing. I know I know because his when he was in the studio last time, he, you know, his wife was encouraging him to do as much as he could. Exactly, you know, Dick. You, you know, go ahead and and but you know you you were getting over surgery. Except so it was she a temporary also experience. she also accused me of of learning helplessness very quickly, and, and so I got three words for you, Ron. You go, Gina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she handled that part pretty well, and it is true. She is. She calls herself a caregiving non-enabler. So we've got you know, got about twenty seconds. We have just a little bit of time. So, Jamie, you know, to, for caregivers <laughs> to keep from sabotaging themselves, what advice do you have, very succinctly? Succinctly, go to a caregiver SOS. Get to some support. Make sure you're in a support group. And make sure that you're not uh, the lonesome cowboy or cowgirl in this process. Perfect. And, Thank you. And two heads are better than one every time. Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air with Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zernil. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll catch you again next time on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. Presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.